Welcome to episode 30 of The Process. Run your race. Thank you for being here with me today. Appreciate you for coming. Martin. Today we have Dr. Ronald Moses on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Moses. I appreciate you all for having me, man. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you being here. Can you tell the listeners uh, where you're from? Uh, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia, or a little bit outside of Atlanta, so Decatur, Stone Mountain, Georgia area. Uh, what was it like growing up there? Oh, it was cool, man. I, I had a really good childhood, you know, for the first for the you know first half of my childhood, man. Came from a two-parent household. Um, for the most part, you know, pretty middle class. Both parents was working. Stability, you know, came up playing sports. Um, you know, lived in the suburbs for the most part. So it really wasn't too, too bad, you know, kind of coming up. So we got around to the middle school part when everything kind of started to go shift left to right or however you want to take it, man. But honestly, it wasn't too bad of a community to really grow up in, man. You was able to kind of grow up in the affluent area and see a lot of people um, of your culture really kind of doing some big things and growing up in that era was really cool one thing about the podcast is you know we have different people on the podcast you know from all different walks of life from all different backgrounds um and i understand you said you grew up in kind of a fluent area um two-parent households but what what major struggles did you face growing up so that was the thing man i really didn't have a whole lot of major struggles till i got to about um, I want to say middle school, so it was about sixth, seventh grade, my, my dad passed away. Wow. And, um, so for anybody that kind of grew up, you know, a lot of people kind of come up in the story of, you know, their parent, particularly when they grow up in the household, they might have their mom, they might have their grandmother or something like that. And the dad was in and out or in, in and out of jail, whatever like that. My situation wasn't like that. You know, my dad was present. He was around. He was coaching. He was working. And then so when you have that kind of structure taken out, you know, that's almost even more detrimental as than somebody that wasn't there in the first place, right? Yeah. You're used to this person being there all the time and picking you up and doing those different things. And, you know, he primarily went to my parent-teacher conferences, all that stuff. So that really sent me personally um, and my whole family structure into a tailspin, right? That's a whole income that you're taking out. You know, I had, it was me, my mom, and my sister. 
you know, my mom picking up double shifts. So now we go from that to a single parent household. Your mom ain't at home no more. So you go from the affluent two parent household to you go back to the, all right, your mom never home. You know, y'all living check to check. You know, you ain't eating as much as you was before. You can't buy the stuff that you had before. So it was almost different. It wasn't really a rags to riches from us. It was more so of a, you know, a riches to rags type situation. Um, so that really kind of sent it into a different uh, direction for me uh, once that kind of happened. I can't imagine what effect that had on you as, you know, a child going to a young teenager. Um, Quay and I are, are, are parents. I have a four-year-old and a, a four-month-old, so I couldn't imagine my family living without me. You know what I mean? Like, that, man, that had to be tough. So, you know, what was that like, you know, at that age? What, you know, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was, honestly, it was real tough at that age in particular because, so my background of what I study is, in, you know, counseling student development. So if you look at the development of a student, man, middle school is really different for everybody right because it's like you're not a little boy anymore you come out of elementary school right so and then you get into that pre-adolescence before high school so everybody growing at different rates you're trying to find yourself you know you're starting to really discover who you are before you get to high school that's when the whole thing as far as the popularity come into place and that's when people really start having fights and that's when people really start thugging or doing whatever they're doing in the streets for real that's kind of when it happens around that age right so yeah while you was protected from that in, your, in, in, you know, the K through, you know, sixth grade, you get to middle school and that's when you expose, you know, to those different things. Um, so it was crucial for me because it's like, you have a good family structure, you had a good role model. Um, and all of a sudden you go from that to, you don't have that role model anymore. Your mom picking up double shifts or she switched from the day shift to the night shift or whatever it is she doing taking care of your sister so you just go from that to you at the house by yourself all the time and the accountability level is low just because your mom doesn't have time to work and provide and make sure she's watching you all the time at the same time so that's when you start going out getting out into the streets rolling out with the wrong crowd because at that point you're bored you know you're playing ball you're playing video games and everybody else outside like man come on let's do this let's do that so you don't have anything to kind of keep you occupied um, like you would if you kind of had the two-parent household, you had a different type of family structure. Um, so that's that's what was critical and crucial for me. And obviously, the age I am now, I understand what I was going through. But at that age, you know, you don't know anything anything better about, you know, what you're going on and how you're feeling at that point. So following up after middle school, you lost your dad, beginning of middle school, you know, uh, what path did your life take after that? Okay. Yeah, so, so pretty much after that, man, it was, it was really... You know, I kind of went um, in the eighth, ninth grade. I moved around a little bit. So I went to, I had an uncle. Um, I went to stay with two of my uncles for a little bit. I had an uncle in Virginia Beach that was in the military. Um, so I stayed out in that area, Hampton area, actually. Um, and stayed out there for a little while. Then I had another uncle in New York in the Staten Island area. Stayed out there because my mom thought it was important for me to have some type of um, male figure in my life, right? Just because there wasn't a whole lot where I was at. Um, so I went out there with them, you know, for a little while. And then eventually she was kind of like, all right, come back down here for high school. It's not really working up there where you at. So I got into high school and then that's when kind of everything even took a turn for the worse. So I always been pretty gifted in athletics and that's still why I work in athletics now. Um, so I was playing football, baseball, running track, 
but really at the same time man it, it was the allure of you know when you ain't have the money that you used to and you don't have the things that you wanted man the allure of what was going on on the outside was different so you get to high school and now you start seeing people with that real money right like yeah. you get to high school and that's when you start seeing dudes slugged up they got the grills and you start seeing dudes come to school fresh every day i'm talking about a ninth grade you just like man what what he doing like how's he coming to school like that man? i can't afford that i'm begging to ask for my mama for all this stuff we can't even get it and so that's kind of when you start hanging around those folks and, and really kind of getting off track because you know making money and shipping school and all that other stuff is a little bit at that time it makes sense right like it doesn't it makes sense you can't see the long game but let me stay in school and let me go do the best i can so i can go to college and figure all that out i'm like man i'm in school I'm trying to talk to these girls i'm sitting over here with these shoes i don't want nobody to call me lame like you know just your development process culturally especially as a black male in, in a predominantly black community is different right yeah. what we value is completely different than other cultures so it's that's what i was getting that's what i was trying to get at so pretty much got caught up in that lifestyle man got caught up in in the gangs and got caught up in just some different things but I always had a foot in foot out right so I always tell people I was a half thug like I was never good I was never trill enough to be all the way in you know like yeah. sometimes when they was like hey we gonna go do this we gonna go do that and I'm sitting in the car like oh, I don't know bro like that's that sounds dangerous you know what I'm saying so it's just like it was halfway in halfway out man so I did that for a couple years just really trying to find myself um and then really realized I put myself in some situations in the streets where I realized like this this ain't for me at all right whether it was people running from the police and I'm like yo that's not a good feeling right or whether it's somebody shooting or whatever it is like those not situations you have certain people that fed off that right like we all got friends it's like oh man yeah we going back we going I was like no nah, I'm gonna stay in the house now like that was dangerous I'm gonna holler at y'all next week um so I realized at that point it was time to make a change um so from there you know pretty much i was out of school at this point i was a high school dropout i had pretty much stopped going um and then my mom was like if you're not gonna go i don't want these people to keep calling me so you know i unenrolled myself from high school um and then from there was just trying to find myself and then i went to this military school kind of like this military um boot camp style it's called youth challenge academy i think almost every state got it it's kind of ran by the national guard um, so I ended up going to a program like that just to kind of try to get my life back in order. Uh, so did you end up finishing uh, high school? Yeah, so I, so I ended up finishing at this program, um, U Challenge Academy. So you can get your GED, your adult high school diploma, that type deal. It's like a six-month program. And, and what it was supposed to serve as was an intervention for people that's coming, you know, people that was in juvenile. It's like an alternative for people going to juvie. So instead of going to juvenile, you can go to this program. Um, this was in Fort Stewart, Georgia, so kind of down near like Savannah, Statesboro area. Um, and we was down there and pretty much you kind of stayed on the base and they had you in there and you had to march and do, you know, PT every morning and go to the classroom instruction and all that. And what that really did for me was it provided me structure and it provided me with positive male role models. You know, it provided me all that, the whole military structure, like all them guys down there was really like kind of helped you get your life back in order. And for the first time, doing good in school and just in everyday life was incentivized, right? Whether yeah. we was trying to get more phone calls because we couldn't talk on the telephone all the time. We had to go to the pay phones. So if you did good that week, you could go to the pay phones, right? And you 
we didn't have cell phones at all. You want to talk to your family, you want to talk to your girl, whatever that was. Um, everything was incentivized. So it's kind of like, all right, man, I'm not tripping with y'all. Like, I'm sitting over here, I'm going to do my work. If you finish your work for the week, you know, there were certain incentives at the end of the week. Um, if you did everything you're supposed to do, if you did better on your PT test. So mentally and physically, everything for us was incentivized for doing well. So it kind of changed my mindset. Like, all right, look at what you can get out of life when you start to do things the right way instead of trying to cheat trying to cheat your way and do it the other way um and that really kind of helped my mindset overall with this program so i was in this program for six months um and once i finished with that program i went directly from that program and, and enlisted in the army hey serrano so at what age did you realize and recognize that uh the streets wasn't for you and what experiences um propelled you to go in the directions that you chose in life Oh, man, I would probably say about 15, man, honestly. Um, it was probably about 14, 15 years old. I would say more so about 15. I got my permit, and um, my mom would work night shifts. You know, she worked at a hospital, and she would work night shifts. And one day, she left a car, you know, a car at the house. And folks called me. was like, hey, man, you trying to make a run real quick? You know, and it was like, yeah, cool. Like, we can get some money for making a run, and we would make a little run from Atlanta, Georgia to Greenville, South Carolina, and, you know, do some things like that, man. But I just remember getting out there and I'm getting a car and I got a permit, right? So, you know, you can't drive without a, another person over 18 in the car. And it's me and my home where we both 14, 15, and we driving from Atlanta to South Carolina, which was about a two-hour ride and back. And, I mean, we were so nervous, but we were sweating. We looking, hey, you see the police over there? You see the police over there? We just nervous we did that trip when we came back man and that really was my eye-opening like once i finally got back man i was shaking and i was just like this ain't for me the whole time the whole the whole process of like man what what's gonna happen if i get caught you know what's gonna happen if we get you know we knew we can get caught by the police we could have got robbed by somebody else on the street you know anything could have happened at that point we going up here to a whole other state a whole other city we don't know anybody we're supposed to meet up with you know it was just that whole process of things that you know you have this natural mechanism in your mind like a fear and some people don't have that some people kind of go through it and be like all right this is cool but for me i kind of me and my friend that night was kind of just like once we finished that we was like all right like we tried this this was this was we did it we went halfway in we went all the way in um and then we really realized like this isn't this ain't it for real because for you to be in that lifestyle ain't no halfway in it right like you got to be all the way in you have to be able to live with them consequences you got to be able to do those different things and be like well if i if they, if they hit me i'm gonna sit i'm gonna sit down i'm gonna get my time um i'm not scared of whoever gonna come at me i'm gonna be ready you got to be ready for all that so if you're not ready for the consequences of those actions, there's no point in even trying to go into, you know, some of those environments and trying to act like that when you don't really want that negative side effect. Um, and that was what really was hit me was just like, all right, at 15, I'm like, no, this is it. I'm done. You know, we're going to put this down and we're going to try to find another way. But the problem is I didn't know another way. I'd already dropped out of school. You know, I had already burnt all my bridges academically. So I already burnt my bridges athletically, right? Because you're not in school, you can't play ball either. So it's like, all right, what's the, the next option now? And that school really provided an outlet for me. We have a lot of young guys that are going through a lot of different situations and, they, and, they and they're dealing with this peer pressure or thinking that they got to be in the streets or engaged in these type of things. For you to be so young and recognize that, man, I commend you on that. And I just want to know, like, what major male figures uh, – played a role in your development and, and how so i mean honestly i would say for me man the biggest thing is 
you know, when you're young, they always tell you, man, all right, look, hey, you want to get this, you want to get that, because when you get older, you're going to wish you would have did this. When you get older, you wish you would have did that. I always heard that. And I think I took it a lot more serious once I went to this military school and folks were telling me, like, man, look, you need to do this, that, and the third. And when I was your age, I wish I would have done some of these things. And then when I got in there also, I was in there with a lot of people that was, like I said, fresh out of juvenile or was supposed to go to different areas. And you kind of see how they was moving and how they was going. And you just like, man, I'm grouped in with these people. And there was nothing wrong with them because you, you're a part of them as well, right? But you understand that, okay, I'm a little... I'm a little more intelligent than them. You know, I have a little more, um, I have a little more of a chance to kind of get out here and do some different things that they might not be able to do because of their family background or they might not ha have had that good educational foundation that they needed. You know, I was there tutoring people because I would go through, do my work and I would tutor people and things of that nature. And that's when, it, you know, dudes there was like, oh man, you really need to go ahead and, and do this and do that and try to go to college because a lot of them dudes you was in there with was like, that really wasn't an option for them. We had people in there that couldn't pass their GED, just academically. We had people in there that couldn't read. And you know how hard that is to realize by the time you were 16, 17, you know, our program was from 16 to 19, that's you 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, and you can't read for it, right? So guys like that was like, when I get out of here, this is what I'm going back to for sure, because this isn't an option for me. So listening to the positive male role models and just my peers saying like, hey, you passed this test, you did this, you can go to that level you need to go do that versus people that was like I can't go and do that that's what really made in some of my OGs was like man you got an opportunity to do some stuff that we aren't able to do and so that's the thing I always try to share with the younger kids it's like man if you don't have to be over there it's a lot of people that has to be in the streets right um they don't really have a whole lot of options whether it's they caught a charge already and they're failing and and they can't get a regular job and they need to be there, whether they weren't educated like they were supposed to, whether they have some type of family ties and situations that have to keep them there. If you're lucky and blessed enough to not have that stuff, there's no point in being there, right? So that's what the positive male role models kind of showed me was like, all right, look, you see us, we're doing well, we're kind of, we're doing affluent, you know, we're, um, we're affluent, we're doing pretty well for ourselves and you don't have to kind of go down that route to be at that same way. I, unfortunately, I had to uh, I had to uh, sit under the fire, you know, and I had to sit down for a, a while. You know, I did 30 months incarcerated. You know, uh, I played with the fire, you know, and I got burnt. Mm -hmm. So listening to you talk, you know, it's, it's speaking of a wise person because I have a stupid person. You have a smart person. You have a wise person. You know, a stupid person kind of make mistakes and never learn from them. You know what I'm saying? You make mistake after mistake, you never learn from them. You know what I'm saying? You got a smart person that, you know what I'm saying? People say this is good, so he try to test it out, see what it is. And you know, he make mistakes, but then eventually, you know what I'm saying, he bounce back and keep doing forward, going forward. And you have a wise person that, you know, kind of like listen to what everybody else telling me, you know, so he kind of go with it and kind of like, you know, I ain't gonna make these mistakes. I can see that that fire is hot, so I ain't gonna get burnt. And I, you know, so I can see these type of things. So, exactly. you know, I mean, I, I commend you though, man, because you know, you know, so I was one of those guys that, you know, what I'm saying, uh, most of the majority of my family members come from the streets. You know, what I'm saying, and my father was in prison, so you know, what I'm saying, I had a mom that was that she did her best. You know, she did great, great job. Had a great job, great mom, and a great grandma. But I, uh, that father in the home, I mean, it does so much more. You know, and that's why now. You know, it's so important for me right now is to be able to keep showing up. You know, uh, I mean, man, I commend you, though, man. I'm proud of you, Dr. 
No, I appreciate it, man. And, and just like you said, it's it's real important. I think the biggest thing that came out of it, right, where even when people talk about some man, you was in the gang, you was doing this, you was in that, I was like, the best thing about it, man, we had some older people, we had some older dudes that really came around and that when, when they talked, we was listening. And i never forget, there was a guy that got out of jet, man, he did about eight years in the feds. And he got out and he sat down with me one day and I was just chopping it up with him about some current events. And he was just like, man, you different from them. Like they can't, they don't know how to talk about this and talk about that just because he was in there so long, he picked up reading and some different things. And he was like, listen to me. He was like, if you know what I know, you're going to leave all this alone. And so I had a lot of dudes. And that's the one thing that even I talked to some of those guys to this day is because they all was just like, this, this not you. So they had the thing they could have easily took advantage of the situation because a lot of people in those situations you know when you um under the age of 18 some of those older guys might try to get the younger guys to go commit the crimes because they know you only gonna sit down on juvie time and you're not gonna have a serious charge like they would so instead of doing that they always assessed and was like yo you know, he can do that but you too or you or whoever this is like y'all need to go do something else like you better than that so that's the whole thing about it was it's crazy even though i didn't have my father figure there I had some people, even though they was coming from a negative standpoint, quote unquote, they kind of was the ones that stepped in and was like, nah, you can't, you too smart to be where we are. You have more of a, a chance than we are. So I need you to go ahead and do that. And so that's why I always tell people, those are the kind of people that you want in your corner. That's not going to let you make the mistakes, you know, before you do that. And that's what I mean by just having positive male role models, even if you got a guy that's been in jail eight years and he's sitting there stopping you and they trying to get you to do whatever it is and he just like nah he can't do that let him go over here let him chill out he can sit over here y'all go do that that really was a major impact for me um just hearing some of them keep saying people just kept telling me over and over again on that side was like man you don't need to be over here like you have a little bit more of a mind than it is to be over here with some of them some of them is destined to be over here but yours is somewhere else so eventually it was just like all right i gotta listen to it and kind of go the direction that they say that was surely a blessing in disguise uh, to have people looking out for you even in the, and during your circumstances like that. You know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, but yeah, your story resonates with me too, man. I kind of went through similar circumstances, but my dad, he wanted, he wasn't in the house at all. So I was raised by a single mom. I ended up getting my GED. Um, I always had a bad taste in my mouth at school, and here I am pursuing a PhD. So I, I want to know, you know, when did that shift for you, um, with your academic history, you know, going on to attain a PhD, you know, what, what was that journey like? Yeah, for me, honestly, man, it, it shifted at that military. Everything for me shifted at that this little school I told you about. It was only six months, right? So I got all this formalized education, but it's those six months that really changed my entire life, how I viewed myself. I went in there and we would take these little tests because, right, we was taking these GED pre-tests, like these pre-practice tests, so you can understand all the material before you took the actual test. And you had to take, you know, it in math and language arts and these other areas, and we would take it with our group, right? We were all in different barracks, and we would take it with our group. And based on, you would take a pre-test, and based on how you did on the pre-test, they would give you homework. And I would only have maybe one or two answers wrong versus everybody else going through the whole workbook so eventually my, my teacher was like, all right, you know, we're about to move you to another classroom. And they moved me to this other classroom um, where I guess where the people that was a little more advanced um, kind of were. And in there, it was competitive. So it was like you was taking the test and some of them dudes in there was like, oh, yeah, I got an 88. 
you know, I told some of them I had an 88. Dude, look at me. He's like, oh, man, you dumb, man. Ain't nobody in here getting less than a 92. And so that kind of had me crank up like, oh, okay. Like, this is how we doing it, right? So then it kind of became of a thing where that was a different culture for me, right? Where it was like, in this classroom, because I'm going to, I'm sitting here with people from different backgrounds, different cultures. For them, it was like, oh, yeah, you, it's not cool to be dumb. In, in their world, you know, rather they were on drugs or whatever was doing, they still wanted to be smart. So I'm in there studying now. Like, okay, let me come in here so I can make sure that I'm not the person in this particular classroom that has the low score or whatever it is. Even though we was getting decent grades, it was kind of like a competition. That changed my whole entire mentality when it came to academics. Because it was like, all right, now you can do it for real. You coming in here, you getting these grades. It's just that you need to know, like, I can do it. So from there, I left, um, went did, went to the military uh, for a little bit. Then I got out the military. No, I didn't get out. I went to the National Guard, um, and I went to a school called Georgia Military College, which is a JUCO, because um, originally I wanted to play football there. And it was like the only JUCO football team in the Southeast. Um, so I went to Georgia Military College for a couple of years to get my associate's degree, and I was nervous because I'm like, man, I wasn't really good in school since like elementary school, right? Where you're getting your A's and all that. I, I hadn't done anything in middle school, anything in high school. So I was nervous. And then really I applied myself the same way that I did at that military school. And I mean, I pretty much had a 3.0 every semester other than two semesters through uh, my JUCO. And then once I got my grades there, it kind of opened you to the actual process. Cause I was never able, I wasn't a high school dude that was putting in the, um, the, the applications to, the different colleges and universities you know i ain't know nothing about that so for me that was my my chance to say all right well i can really sit here and apply to all these schools you know that i always wanted to go to so that was that was fun for me like man i applied i actually applied and got into florida state i was looking at florida state i was looking at all when i looked at uga all this other stuff and i was always a uga fan growing up and so when i got in academically i'm like man why not you know why not go to the school that she was a fan of growing up academically you can get in um then i went to school there and i was able to kind of go through there and so my confidence just happened to build as i kept going through and as i realized man if you study and you apply yourself a little bit this stuff not even that hard and then you start to see um the benefits of getting those grades and how much how much doors open up and things of that nature happen so you go through that whole process then you hit your masters and your masters is even easier you know by that point because you really done built the foundation so that all that stuff kind of gave me the catapult to just kind of go straight through the PhD. So since I've been in college, I kind of went straight from uh, my associate's, bachelor's, master's, straight to PhD. I didn't take any breaks. I just kind of went all the way through till I was finished. And hearing you talk sounds like you talk me talking to me. <laughs> it's so crazy because uh, my dream school was always the University of Florida. Uh, I was just a fan, you know, and now I'm getting my PhD at the University of Florida. And so, I mean, that resonates with me. Uh, I went to Purdue University. It was the only grad school that kind of gave me an opportunity. Um, and then my wife ended up coming to the University of Florida for law school, and I followed her here and I got in. And so um, I can I can identify with the academic journey you took. I mean, I can talk to my wife now. She'll tell me about all the applications she put in, all the schools she looked at, and I just knew I was going to FAMU because that's where everybody went. And I knew I can get in. You know what I mean? Right. right. Um, so academics that was always tough for me. But what was that process like uh, for those who don't know? Uh, 
getting a PhD? Uh, what work? What did you study? Um, and what went into, you know, the academic rigor of becoming a PhD candidate? Yeah, man. So, so how the journey for the PhD originally started, man? I got out of undergrad. Um, my undergrad degree, I had a bachelor of science in education. So I always been real. I always. When I went into college, I always wanted to go back and give back to people like myself that didn't have that positive role model. Like, that was my main motivation. Once I finally got on track, I'm like, it's people back in my community that need this, right? It's a whole bunch of young boys, young black boys coming from this particular culture that need people out here telling them, like, man, this is, you don't have to do that. You can come over here and do this and you can prioritize this stuff. So I got my degree in education. I was like, all right, I'm a coach and I'm going to work at the high school level. Um, then I decided, you know, from that, I'm like, now I really want to get into college athletics. I want to get into pro. Um, so I was really trying to find my way. Um, so I was substitute teaching uh, for a while, working security, you know, things of that nature until I found my options because I wanted to go, you know, be a grad assistant somewhere. So I was applying everywhere, trying to navigate that process. Didn't know anything, right? I'm just applying to schools. I'm getting into certain schools and trying to figure out funding. Um, and I just so happened to run across um, Western Kentucky. Now look up their coaching staff and you know they had coach tagger who was there now some of the people and i sent a message on linkedin to the person who would end up being my first former boss who's actually at florida state right now since the athletic director of football named sherrod everett and um you know he ain't respond <laughs> you know so i was like all right cool i gotta figure out a different way so i applied to all these schools i got into these schools and what i actually did was I, I took, you know, I packed up one day and I got into Marshall University, University of Maryland, University of Akron, and Western Kentucky for my master's in sports administration. I just drove out to these schools. I just hit the people up like, hey, I'm going to be in the area. Like, I lied. I said, I'm going to be in the area. I just want to come and talk to you all about the program because I already got in academically. But I had to figure out, okay, which program was going to like me enough to give me a grad assistantship so I didn't have to pay for school and which one was going to give me an opportunity somehow to work with a football program. Um, so I drove to three schools and um, I ended up getting just going in there, talking to their program director, going in there and say, hey, how you doing? My name is Ron Moses. Uh, I'm a new student over in the sports administration program. I want to talk to you about volunteering with your program. And I actually just walked up in Western Kentucky and them dudes was like, all right, cool. You know, like you can work with us. And that's why I ended up working with them. I just think they viewed me different because that staff was pro pro primarily black males. Um, so I think they just looked at me like, okay, this dude is smart. He's coming over here. He wants to do this. So I actually was working as a football assistant, doing football operations, uh, recruiting. But then my GA actually was as a graduate research assistant. So I was working over in the kinesiology and sport management department, helping them with research and things of that nature. So I was getting the best of both worlds and understanding that. And my dean over there, uh, a guy named Dr. Fred Gibson, was like, man, you're smart enough. I want you to go off and get your Ph.D., um, so it all kind of came together when I met a guy, he actually went to Purdue, matter of fact, he played for the Colts, a guy named Dr. Albert Bimper, who's at Colorado State right now. And he off he helped me get a job at Kansas State University um, where I could get my Ph.D. and I could work full time, which was perfect for me. Um, and so I started the process there getting my Ph.D. in counseling and student development. Um, and that was different, man. I thought it was going to be easy. I thought you just took some classes because my master's you know, was different. You know, your master's is a little more specific. So people fly through their master's and they get a false sense of like, okay, the PhD going to be the same, man. It was not the same at all. Like everything, <laughs> everything, was, everything was ramped up. The writing is serious. They want you to write these 20-page papers like it's, it's nothing. And that's just the classes. 
and then the classes I realized was nothing even on the dissertation process. Once I got to the dissertation process, that was like jumping off a cliff because you don't have any structure, any help there. The part of that process, and they do that on purpose, right? So you can get out there and you got to figure it out yourself. And then there's no deadlines with the PhD, with the dissertation part. It's like, all right, well, if you get it, if you do this this semester, cool. If not, you can go next semester, cool. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, yeah. you have to really motivate yourself. And that was the hardest part because I'm working full time. And when work get hectic and crazy, I'm like, all right, I'm not writing this week. And then all of a sudden, that week you don't write turns into two weeks, two, three weeks, two months. All of a sudden, you didn't write for a semester or two. All of a sudden, you let a whole year go by and you haven't made any progress. <laughs> so eventually, I had to like buckle down and say, all right, regardless of what's happening at work, I have to make sure I'm writing and get done with this. And I'm not going to lie to you, it was a lot of times and points where I was like, man, there's no way I'm going to finish this. Just because I'm working full time and I'm doing this, there's zero way I'm going to finish it. But eventually, I just kept chipping at it and chipping at it and chipping at it until we finally got it done. The title of our podcast is titled The Process Podcast. What does trust in the process mean to you? Oh, man. To be honest with you, when you think about a process in itself, <clears throat> it's exactly what it's titled, right? It's a process. There's there's different tenets of a process, right? There's your introduction, there's your beginning or whatever the process is. There's things you have to go through to make. When you talk about making a product, right, or just going through a process, period. Whether you're talking about like a fraternity and pledging, whether you're talking about making a product or item, whether you talk about anything that you do, it's a journey. That process is a journey, right? There's no such thing when you talk about something that's a process of like, okay, well, I pressed the button and it just came. You know, we live in such a microwave generation. Everybody wants something now. The hardest part about it when you think about what you're talking about in particular in y'all podcast is people see the victories, but folks don't see what happens in between. You know, like you say, okay, I want to start a PhD. And then people see you say when you want to start it and they see when you want to end it, but they don't, they didn't see that process in the middle. And so that's the thing about it. Like you have to find beauty in the struggle somehow. And it's hard because you're going to sit there and be like, man, I don't think I can do this. You're going to have imposter syndrome. You're going to feel bad. There's going to be times where, you know, they, they give you some feedback on the paper or whatever. You're like, oh man, this is, this is bad. Or it's going to be times at work where you're just like, man, I want to quit. I want to do something different. And so people always say you grind and take your L's in silence. And so it's, it's when I finished and when all that stuff happened, people were asking for this advice and all that. Now I have to give them that real, I have to give them the truth. Because I'm like, man, it's a lot of times. Man, I lived out in Kansas. I was going through this process in Manhattan, Kansas. I'm by myself out there. You know what I'm saying? And at that time, and this is just me being real and exposing myself, man, I'm at that time, I was dating somebody and I wanted her to move out there with me. And she ain't want to move from Atlanta to Kansas. Now I'm sitting in the middle of Kansas by myself. We done broke up and I got to go go to work and I got to go to school and I got to do this whole and that all this stuff was hard right so emotionally you're dealing with stuff then you're trying to go to work and finish your stuff and you're trying to write your paper and you're trying to figure out man my family and my friends are all still back in Atlanta and it's like you're dealing with all that stuff at the same time man. but when you get to the end of the process when you get to the end of that part everything is worth it every single thing I went through even though it was ups and downs and dark times and dark places all that stuff was worth it because all those things that you do, what that do is it builds resiliency, you know? And so now that you get to this point, I can sit back and I can tell people, especially with my major being in counselor student development, I can sit back and I can talk to you and I know exactly what you went through because not only did I study it, but I was in that same place myself from whatever angle, whatever you were going through, 
you know, and I work with a lot of students that go through all that stuff, mainly students with like learning disabilities. So whether it's AD, uh, ADD, ADHD, um, dyslexia, simple things like that. I also work with people that have anxiety, depression, um, bipolar disorder, things of that nature, just try to make sure that holistically we try to find a way to make sure they have a good student experience. Talking to yourself today, what are some things that you would have told your, your younger self to make your experience a better experience growing up? Oh, man, if I could do it again, man, really, you know, even though, you know, it, everything needed to happen to happen, but if I could do it again, I really would have went to myself kind of in them formalized stages, man, and really would have told myself back in I think middle school high school man and really kind of take that academic stuff serious because even to this day even though I have a doctor and stuff there's still a lot of foundational stuff that man I wasn't in school for a lot of stuff you know I don't even I don't remember geometry you know what I'm saying I don't remember some of these things like these are things I had to buckle down and really study and make sure that I apply myself to really finish um so it's really was kind of just that part like and the reason I say that is we're socialized is so what I study primarily is you know minority males and this whole process in our culture and the socialization of how society views us and how we view ourselves and what i mean by that is growing up we are and i'm talking about black males in particular the only intersection of culture that's expected to be something more toxic than what we're supposed to be right if you look at every other area right my my counterparts in other cultures they want to grow up and they want to be doctors. They want to be lawyers. They want to be some of that. And we say that when we're young, like real young. But when you get a little bit older, what is the main things that we want to be in our culture? We want to be athletes and entertainers. Every other culture is like, okay, if I'm an athlete and entertainer, that's cool. But I'm trying to be a stockbroker. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. How else do I know that? I see that every day with what I work, everywhere where I work. You know, primarily my black males, they come in like, I'm going to the league. You know, if I don't go to the league, I'm trying to rap. And if I don't get the rap, I'm trying to trap. Right. Those are the three areas. Why is that? Because we like the attention of it. The women like the, they like us if we have money. They like us how we dress. They, they like that certain things. So we're the only culture that's kind of like the negative stereotypes. We kind of feed into it because we think that's what we're supposed to do. So my whole thing was I would have went back and told myself, like, man, don't worry about that, because when you get there, you approaching your 30s. All my homeboys that was popular, you know what I'm saying? And, and when we was in high school, all them people, when you go back home and you see them and you see how they really living now, you gonna really wish that, you know, you took that stuff serious. Cause the people that I thought was popular, you know, back in high school and the people that had all the girls and all that stuff, and you see how they living now, them, they call me all the time. They struggle. Hey, how can I figure this out? Hey, I just got out of jail. How can I do this? Hey, man, I only got my GD. I didn't go to college. How can I do this? And you'll be surprised at how different people's lives change because they prioritize trying to be popular in high school and middle school versus really trying to make sure they got their education. I was going to call you uh, Ronnie, but, you know, you put some respect on your name, so I got to call you Dr. Dr. Ronnie. So, Dr. Ronnie, who is Dr. Ronnie today? Man, you know what? That's that's the number one thing I'm still trying to figure out, man. It's, the, the good thing about it is that I think it's when you become comfortable within your identity, that's where everything starts to fall in line, right? Um, so I'm comfortable with what I do, right? And I know my mission in life is I, I want to work with, you know, young people, right? So not, not just males, 
um, not just black males, right, but everybody. I work with everybody across all spectrums. And I want to work with them to make them understand their potential and realize and kind of give them those skills and tips that I didn't have, you know, um, or people didn't tell me that I really wish I would have had. So that's kind of like my passion and purpose in life. You know, who I am as a person, everything kind of really, to be honest with you, with me really revolves around that. Everything revolves around that. Like, I, I'm living in Columbia, Missouri. I'm in middle of Missouri, man. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, I'm at the University of Missouri. I'm working with a, a SEC football team. I'm running all of their academics, you know, for their football program, which is the most visible program. And, and that's what really my identity builds around a lot of my job. Now, I work with students on campus. I'm an advisor for a group called Minorities in Sports. And that's for, you know, any minorities, however you identify, that want to get to the, into the sports business. And I work with them a lot. I teach a class on campus. So really, all my stuff centers around education, right? And so that's who I am as a core. Like, education to me is, a, is, is what I want to do. It Not just because it sounds good, but that's literally what I do. That's what I study. That's what I dedicated my life to. And I have a big thing about uh, me trying to be authentic and keeping it real at the same time and trying to keep my true identity while educating them at the same time because I don't want to come at them, you know, from a standpoint in a place where they can't relate to me, which is why I try to come at them and make them understand, like, listen, this is where I'm from. I try to expose everything I have just to say, like, I've been where you've been and probably in a worse situation. Um, and that's really how I get my point across to them to make them understand, like, man, listen, this is cool. Education could be cool. Like, you can still be out here, you know, doing your thing and be swagged up and whatever you need to do and still have your degrees and still do all that. And so that's the main thing that I'm trying to get across. And that's my point. And so that's who I am as myself. I'm, I'm authentically myself. I still wear my gold teeth when I want to, when I'm not at work. You know what I'm saying? I still do all that stuff when I want to, because it's important for them to understand like, damn, you know, Dr. Ron could do this. He doing that, man. Look at him. He, he out here doing this thing, but I'm still going to work every day and I'm still doing my research and I'm still doing everything that's positive. So making them understand that, look, your identity doesn't uh, limit you to certain spaces. You can have that identity and still be up here in the academy and still go into these certain spaces and still excel and still exceed and, you know, and not be a statistic. So that's really who I am is trying to prove that to them and still be my authentic self while still trying to push the envelope and making sure they understand um, they can live up to their full potential as well. Do you have any uh, lasting words you want to leave with the listeners? I want to say the biggest thing that I learned throughout the journey is man in a whole process is run your own race like don't look at anybody else don't compare nobody you know they had that quote comparison is a thief of joy don't do that don't look at anybody else social media catches people up a lot right you on instagram and you're looking at somebody else and what he's driving and what he has and all that other stuff you have to run your own race and you have to run your own authentic race and stay true to who you are and to yourself and kind of go for your goals and your ideas and your journey and however long that takes is how long that's going to take because that's your journey and i think that people mess up when they kind of go off of it and they're trying to go in different directions and be like somebody else which that's not your journey so my whole thing is tell everybody man run your own race when i first started this stuff when i was first doing this like you were my classmates i was with at the university of georgia i was there with aj green justin houston matt stafford some of these dudes that's mega stars i'm in grad school while they in the, in the league i'm looking at them they social media i'm sitting here at western kentucky doing my work things of that nature and it's like okay you got to run your own race right and now that we at the age now where 
you know, we go to do our thing. Now I got them calling me back again. Hey, Ron, what you think about this? I'm getting ready to, to come towards the end of my career, however many years. Now we started to collaborate and work again to make sure that we put them in that thing. So it's like, I would have never known at that point that I would have been at this point where I'm at right now, right? Just because you see them living that life and doing their thing, you would never know that we're going to intersect again and that I'm going to be the person that they reaching out to you know, before when they were the person kind of in the spotlight. So the thing about it is you might have a short journey where you become that pro and you might live it early or you might live that long race where by the time you get into your 30s, you kind of come that person where you peak. So my, that's my biggest thing I want to leave to listeners, anybody, man, whatever you feel like you're going through, if you have a goal, if you have an idea, if you're in a master's program, PhD program, whatever it is, and it seems daunting and it seems like it's taking forever or whatever it is, man, run your race and stay focused on that you know prioritize your mental health i'm a mental health professional so i always have to say that prioritize your mental health if you're in toxic situations whatever that is please remove yourself from that situation take care of yourself man and, and that's the biggest thing i have to say man run your own race don't compare yourself to anybody else don't see how anybody else is doing it you want to do it exactly how you was doing it, how you're supposed to do it because at the end of the day it sounds cliche but you're gonna come out exactly where you're supposed to be where could the listeners find you uh, if they want to connect with you or anything like that? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. That's my main. That's my main form of, of uh, social media. Honestly, um, you can find me at, at Athletes Develop, and it's spelled just like how it sounds. Um, at Athletes Develop, they can find me on there. Man, I'm always working with people. If anybody want to reach out or do anything, um, I'm always working with people to help them. Whether it's you trying to get into the sports industry, you're trying to find some jobs. Um, whether it is you just kind of want to talk about just different ideas, whether it's about education and whether it's about any culture things, I'm always game to talk and collaborate with people because I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. So I love just talking to people in different different ways just because I like hearing their story. So they can find me right there on Twitter at Athletes Develop. Um, and my DMs inbox thing is always open. I'm always looking at the requests and all that. So I get a lot of them, but I go through, I read all of them and make sure I respond and reply try to collaborate with as many people as possible this concludes episode 30 of the process be sure to follow us on instagram twitter and facebook and to like us on itunes and soundcloud thank you they're chanting trust the process <laughs> trust the process trust the process i think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered like that was my thing right? you know oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave not only on the industry but the effect that I want to leave on people being a whole human being going through my obstacles going through the things that I'm going through and not to only broadcast these things but for it to inspire change